She's not going to be with us this evening. Uh, she'll be gone until Sunday, so she probably won't be here Sunday morning either, I don't think. Uh, but she'll be coming back late then. But she's going to help him out and hopefully help him get through all this. So um, let's just open up in prayer. Father, we come before you tonight just very humbly asking for you to speak to us. Share your love with us. Share your word with us. Reveal yourself to us, God. We don't need to learn something. We don't need to gain knowledge. We need to have an experience with the living God. And we just ask you to make yourself so very real in this place, Lord. Your word declares that as they worshiped you with trumpets in the tabernacle, that, Lord, your presence just filled the place. And there was a heaviness in the place that that showed a weightiness that your glory, Lord. And we just ask, fill this place tonight. Fill it with you. Fill it with your glory. Fill it with your love. Lord, help us to be able to come to an understanding and a revelation of those things that, that words cannot describe, that words cannot express, that only an interaction and an encounter with you can teach. And that's really what we're looking for this evening tonight. We thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so we left off in 1 John chapter 2. So let's go back over there. And we spent a lot of time talking about chapter 1, how John is writing to a group of people, possibly the Ephesian church. We're not really sure. There's not a lot of record historically on it. There's a little bit of contradiction, but it could very possibly be the Ephesians. We know that because John spent a lot of time with the uh, Ephesus church before he passed away. And we know that he's writing to a group of, of believers that has been infiltrated by this group of what was called Gnostics. And he's trying to bring some clarity as to what true Christianity is versus what they're hearing and what they're being taught. And in the midst of this group, there is what Jesus talked about in Matthew 25. There are the wheat and there are the tares. There are those that are believers and there are those that are not. And, you know, do you think the world truly understands what a Christian is? I don't think they do. Because if you went up to any Joe Blow on the street and you said, do you believe in God? Half the time they would say, yeah. And they'd show you a dollar bill and say, it says right here, in God we trust. <laughs> or they'd say they're a Christian because their grandma took them to church. Or you see what I'm saying? They don't understand what real Christianity is. And, and real Christianity and John, if anyone was going to teach us, John would be the one to teach us because he understood having fellowship with Jesus like nobody else did. He was called the beloved disciple. He's the one that brings the fullest revelation of God's character to us, which is God is love. And he was transformed from someone who was a very rough individual. When he was younger, he was called one of the sons of thunder. There was probably a reason for that. <laughs> Because him and his brother wanted to call fire down on the Samaritans for not accepting Jesus when he walked through. They wanted to destroy the whole town. Just get rid of all of them, Jesus. Just be done with them. I wouldn't put up with that junk. You shouldn't either, right? They're ready to toast them all. <laughs> they would have probably been real popular under the Old Testament, but under the New, it just wasn't working for Jesus. And Jesus told him, you don't know what spirit you're of. And he says, I didn't come to destroy men. I came to save them. And I, I believe that interaction with Jesus flipped a switch in John. And from that time forward, John quit talking so much and he listened a lot more. And I think he always was right there at Jesus' side wanting to see what he was doing next. And we know that because he became one of the inner circle 
Jesus had his 12, but within his 12, he had his three. And there were people in his 12 group, that, that in a circle of three, Peter, James, and John, who they saw things that nobody else saw. When Jesus went to the Mount of Transfiguration, nobody else got invited. Those three got invited. When Jesus did certain miracles, those three were present when other people weren't. They, they had an interaction with Jesus that the others weren't necessarily excluded from, but didn't make an effort to be a part of either. John was desperate to know Jesus because he wanted to know God. And because John was such a young age, we know he was probably around 13, 14 years old when he started following Jesus. He was the youngest of all of them. Jesus became more of a father than he was anything else. And so that kind of sets the stage for that intimate relationship you see in the gospel where it says John laid his head on Jesus' breast like a, a man or a woman would a man at that Last Supper. And he had intimate information that other people wouldn't have, such as who's going to betray you, Jesus? Nobody else had the nerve to ask, but they would ask John. And John had the nerve to ask. It was no big deal for him, right? So if anyone could tell us what true Christianity is, John could do it. And John says, this is it. It's having eternal life. And eternal life is this, knowing Jesus. And, it, and we have to take that no out of being intellectual knowledge. If all we do is know mentally Jesus, we don't know Jesus. Okay? How would you like to have a marriage? Or tell me what a marriage, how, what ends up with a marriage when all you do is you live in the same house and maybe you know each other's name and you can tell each other's favorite foods, but... You never know one another intimately. Does that marriage survive? It doesn't. And we know that the marriage relationship is a picture of Christ and his church, isn't it? Over and over and over, Paul talks about it. John talks about it. Everyone talks about it. It's a picture. And one of the things that he says is that a, a man, he says the man will leave his father and his mother and he will cleave. He will cleave, not, not just be fond of, not just spend time with. He will cleave to his wife. And he was saying, I'm speaking of Christ and his church. Christ cleaves to us and we're to cleave to him. And, and there is in that the fellowship. There is that in that the intimacy. If you've never experienced God, your faith won't be great. Faith can't go beyond what you've experienced. Faith is not intellectual, it's of the heart. And there are some things that can't be taught. There's some things that can only be experienced. And our desire should not be, Lord, help me be able to quote the scriptures. It should be, Lord, help me be able to live the scriptures. And, and therein lies the truth of Christianity. Remember, we talked about what that word fellowship is in the Greek. Does anyone remember? Konania. Naomi gave me a stone once for our house when we had our home church. It said Konania, because we called it our Konania Fellowship. And what does Konania, what does it really stand for? Remember we said that that word fellowship really doesn't do it justice. It's relationship. It's relationship. Communion. Communion. Uh-huh. Lightness. Oneness. Right there. Right there is the core part of it that, that's missed. When we talk about fellowship... People get the idea of like picking up a phone and talking to someone or spending time in the fellowship hall, eating a meal and fellowship dinner, right? It's, and it doesn't express what the scripture is trying to get at. What kononia is, is what Christians have with God that makes us so different. Why, why he says that darkness has no 
konania with light. What was he saying? It wasn't that we can't communicate with it. It's not that we can't partake. Because can Christians sin? Sure. They do it every day. (laughs) Sometimes a whole lot, right? (laughs) They do it every day. But there is not a likeness with it. There is not a oneness with it. And it says that we should not konania with darkness because we're not that. Our identity causes a separation. So when we talk about holiness, he says, be holy as I am holy, right? Well, I can walk in a bar and I can spend a lot of time in a bar and it doesn't make me a sinner or anything else. You know, my location doesn't change. I can even drink a beer and it doesn't cause me to be a sinner and that. I can do a lot of different things, but no matter what I do in that situation, I'll know I don't quite fit in. Why? Because I have no kononia with that. Do you understand? And just kind of stress this point, go over to Ephesians. Well, actually, uh, we're going to go to two places. Let's go over to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. We're going to end up in Ephesians, though, too, because he says the same thing in two different places. And uh, this might bring some clarity to, to some of these things for you that we've talked about in the past. Paul, when he dealt with sin in the church, he would say, don't do this, don't do that. He would say those things, and that's, that's well appropriate. But how he really got to the core of things was he would remind them of who they were. And, you know, we do that as parents, don't we? I'll go to my kids. I'll even do it to my sister. (laughs) My sister's done it to me. My mother will say, I didn't raise you that way. Anyone ever have that conversation? (laughs) I'll tell my kids. We, matter of fact, the other day, Josiah had a lot of kids that, that came over, and he had about two or three boys with him celebrating his birthday, and we had Noah and Ethan and everyone in our car, and we were coming back from pizza or something, and one of those little boys let a, let a bomb out of his mouth that he, he clearly knew was not Konania in my van. <laughs> you know how he knew? I had never told him no, but the moment it came out, there was absolute silence. Jesus was going to return in that moment, I think. And I... I Gracious, me and Sarah looked at each other, and you know what? When you look and you've said more than you could ever say with your mouth, right? <laughs> Nothing was said. We just moved on, and me and Sarah picked up the conversation and did something else. But then later on, when me and Josiah were alone with Sarah, I said, Now, um, we need to have a talk about the conversations. Dad, we know. He thought you were going to turn around and rip his tongue out of his face. And I said, You tell him next time I will. <laughs> I told him. <laughs> We had no kononia with that. But, but he knew. He knew there was a difference in the way. He says, well, that's how they live in their household. His dad's in the military, and that's how they talk. I said, but what's the problem with that? I said, oh, we don't. We don't. <laughs> I said, that's right. We don't. And why don't we? Because it's not right, Dad. That's right. Because it's just not right. That's not who we are. Paul says these same things to the believers in 1 Corinthians 6. He he has written this chapter. uh, He's written chapter 4 about this man who's committing incest with his mother-in-law. Really, it kind of sets the crux of why he's writing the book in the first place. He's bringing order to a church that's falling out of order, that's having a lot of disruption, a lot of strife. And he's making some statements about there, there needs to be some correction in this church. Okay? And as he brings correction, he brings to their remembrance some things. He says in 1 Corinthians 6, 9, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Anyone ever hear this quoted? (laughs) 
I think every sinner knows this, this scripture, right? Oh, those hypocrites. <laughs> Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves of mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners, shall inherit the kingdom of God. You ever hear that quoted? All homosexuals are going to hell. They're going to crack hell wide open, right? Yeah. All liars. Politicians ain't got a chance, right? <laughs> you think you could fit somewhere in that list? Yeah. I've got more lists if you want me to go get them for you. So so what's the problem with that? You feel like you're very secure in Jesus in that, that statement? We never read past what Paul says. He says they shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Do you have the kingdom of God right now? Yes. If you're a believer, you do, because what did Jesus say? He said the kingdom of God is within you. And Paul says the kingdom of God is righteousness, joy, and peace in the Holy Ghost. In the Holy Ghost. If you've got the Spirit of God within you, you've got the Spirit of the King, and wherever the King is, His kingdom follows. <coughs> so you go on and you read that next verse and hear what he says. He says, And such were some of you. You were this at one time. You, you know why all liars go to hell? Because they're liars. But are you a liar? What if you say something that's not true? Isn't that a lie? Where does our identity come from? As believers, our identity comes from Christ. Identity comes from birth, not from your actions. But identity understood will birth actions. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. So so is he. It's all about our nature, who we are in Christ, right? He says, such were some of you. Liars will go to hell as liars because they're liars. But Christians who lie aren't liars. They're Christians who aren't living like who they really are. And they need to renew their minds. Because in Christ, there is no darkness. There's only light. They're immature. They're immature. They're carnality. Exactly. Everything that we read in there could fall under a work of the flesh. Are we going to go to hell over our flesh? No. Because ain't nobody perfect yet. He says, and such were some of you. But you've been washed. What were we washed in? The cleansing blood of Jesus Christ that continually cleanses us of our sins. But you were sanctified. What's that word mean? Separated. Separated you, were, you were set apart. Set apart from what? When you got born again, it says that he translated you from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light and of his dear son. Right? And he goes on and he says... But you were justified in the name of Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. We used to be those things. 
And we did those things because that's who we were. That's who we were. We were dead. We were sin. Remember what he said, 2 Corinthians 5, 21? He who knew no sin took my sin. He came. He got it. <laughs> he didn't take my sin. He became my sin. So who was I? who were I when I was dead? When before I got born again, what was I? Sin. My spirit man was sin. It was separated from God. And how did I get separated from God? And the day you eat of the fruit, you will surely die. Adam sinned. And I became sin. But when I believed, I became righteous. Why? Because he is righteous. And I became one with him. In death, I became one with sin. In life, I became one with the one who is righteous. You see what I'm saying? You still have that flesh. You still have that sin principle that you're dragging around in your dead body. And it's constantly trying to war against you and pull you away from those things and convince you that you are not who you are. Right? But the key to overcoming that is understanding who you are to be renewed in your mind. And there we are transformed by the renewing of our mind, that we can show forth what is the perfect will of God. We naturally do those things because we start living from the spirit instead of from the flesh. Both have desires. It just depends on what desires you're going to relinquish yourself to. Remember? Listen to this next part that he says. He says, all things are lawful unto me, but not all things are expedient. What? Now let's put this in context, folks. He said all effeminate, <laughs> all drunkards, <laughs> all liars, <laughs> people that abuse themselves with mankind, they're going to hell. They're not going to inherit the kingdom of heaven, right? But you've been washed, you've been sanctified, right? And then he says, all things are lawful for you. Are you telling me it's okay to sin? <laughs> I'm telling you you're stupid if you do. But the law was not made for a righteous man. 1 Timothy. It was made for the liar, the murderer. You see where I'm going with this? It was made for the sinner. To draw them to Christ. To be a teacher. To lead them that they needed a savior. They need to be redeemed. Right? He says, all things are lawful to me, but not all things are expedient. What is he saying? He's saying, I could go do those things. It's not like God's going to jump out of heaven and strike me dead with a lightning bolt. I could do those things. But if I did, I was stupid. It's not expedient. Anyone know what that word expedient means? It's not beneficial. It won't benefit you. It'll do something exact opposite. If you choose to live according to the flesh, you will surely die. You'll go to heaven, but you'll get there a heck of a lot faster. And this is what Paul said when he said to that man who was committing incest with his mother-in-law. This is what he was saying. He said, give that man over to Satan for the destruction of his flesh that his spirit might be saved in the day of the Lord. What was he saying? Let him reap what he's sowing. After he sows it and reaps it, he'll figure out he don't want it. And it's all because of his own choices. Let him know that. And as he does these things, he's going to find it's not expedient, even though he can do it if he wants to do it. But it's not beneficial. 
it's going to drag him further and further down as a believer. It's going to cause him to feel more and more disconnected, more and more dead inside. And ultimately, if he continues, Satan will destroy his body. But God has redeemed his spirit. He'll still go to heaven. So you can stay as long as you want to stay there. God still loves you. Because he loves even the stupid. He says, all things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. There's another key in there. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are beneficial, and whatever I yield myself to, I became a servant to. Whether you realize realize it or not, you were in a spiritual battle, and you were fighting on one side or another. There is never a time that you just say, Time out, I'm taking a break. We don't get that option in life. And Romans 6 goes into a lot of this, really expands on this concept. He says, use your members as instruments of righteousness, not instruments of unrighteousness. Let these hands, let these feet, let these, this tongue, this mouth, this heart, this mind, let them be instruments of righteousness that are going about to do the will of the Lord. Let's be like Jesus, who when Mary and Joseph lost him, he said, didn't you know that I had to be about my father's business? He didn't let this body rule him. Instead, he ruled his body and said, body, I'm using this to serve the Lord. God didn't make him do it. It was a pleasing sacrifice. He presented his body, Romans 12, 1, as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable, which was his reasonable service. What does God expect of us? To present ourselves to him to be used. That's what he wants. You don't have to. He's not going to be mad if you you don't. But boy, are you missing out. He says, Paul said, I am not going to be brought under the power of of anything. Nothing's going to control me but Jesus. Therefore, I may be able to do it. I may be allowed to do it. There may be no more punishment. But that doesn't mean I'm going to do it. This is the balance to grace. A heart that loves Jesus and therefore willingly desires, seeks after, in fact, on how to please him. Not forcibly because he has to, but because it wants to. That's how grace works. Titus tells us that it is the grace of God that teaches us to avoid all unrighteousness. Grace teaches us that. And if grace isn't doing that, then you're not really understanding grace or you're not hearing real grace. Because you should be falling so much in love with Jesus that you want to know, Lord, what could I do to make you even happier today? What, what could I do? And he would say nothing, just be you. I know, I know, but I, just, I really want to make you happier, Jesus. I, I'm going to sing you a song. <laughs> you don't have to do that. I know, I want it. Jesus loves me, this I know. Oh, that's really great. I love that song. I sing off key. No, no, it sounds great. That's great. That's great. I'm going to go clean the toilets. I'm going to go clean. I know Sarah doesn't want to have clean. I'm going to go clean the toilets. You know, that really makes me happy. I'm going to clean both of them, Jesus. It makes you happy. I'm going to go clean both of them. Jesus didn't say I had to do that. No. No. But a heart that loves Jesus will seek to serve him without being told to go do it. 
God is not looking for a bunch of slaves. He's looking for bond servants. Anyone know what a bond servant is? Paul said he was a bond servant unto the Lord. People could enslave themselves easily by getting in debt during his time. You couldn't pay your bills, you went and you worked it off. But then there were those people who fell in love with their masters. They wanted to serve them. Their masters treated them well, they took care of them, and in gratitude they served them willingly. And so they offered themselves and they said, I don't want to leave. And what they do is they would put them up against the doorpost of their house and they would take a nail and they would nail it through their earlobes. You know these people who wear these big old hoops and think they're like, you know, hoopty? <laughs> That's not a new thing. Paul was the inventor. <laughs> Paul said, I'm a bond servant. That meant that, that they willingly submitted to being a servant to that person. And they did it on their doorpost to say, I'm a servant in this house. I willingly serve. I don't have to serve. I'm free to leave at any time. But I choose to serve. And Paul said, I am a bondservant of the Lord Jesus Christ. Love will do that to you. And in this context, we're entering into 1 John. And John is helping us understand how true love sees things. How true love responds. How true love lives the Christian life. Now I told you that we would, we would flip over to Ephesians. And so I'm not going to lie to you because I... I think I do that a lot. <laughs> Flip over to Ephesians. I believe, let's see here. I believe it is... Let's see here. This is what happens when you switch Bibles. I want to say it's chapter 4. Not where it used to be, is it? <laughs> it's not where it used to be. You're right. How did you know? Did you take my Bible? <laughs> Here we go, I chapter 5. I've had a few of my own pages. <laughs> you understand my pain. Yeah, it was right there. That's why I love Google. <laughs> chapter 5, verse 1. Be ye therefore followers of God as dear children, and walk in love. What does God want? Walk in love. As Christ also has loved us, and has given himself for us as an offering, and as a sacrifice to God, as a sweet-smelling savor. Here he says, he says, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable, which is your reasonable service. And he tells us, walk in love. How? Because Christ already did it, and Christ gave himself, and he gave himself as a sweet-smelling sacrifice. Where we're following his example. This is Christ living through us and in us. This is the Christ life. And he goes on, and he says... Verse 3, but fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not be once named among you as become as saints. Neither filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor jesting, which are not convenient, but rather giving of thanks. For this you know, that no whoremonger, nor unclean person, nor covetous man, who is an idolater, hath any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of our God. Did he say that you don't have an inheritance? No. He says those kinds of people don't have an inheritance. So what's the insinuation? Don't be like them. Right? Don't be like them because they don't have an inheritance in Christ's kingdom. Doesn't mean you don't. But don't be like them. Light shouldn't fellowship with darkness. And then you flip over to Galatians. 
And actually, I just real quick, if you went further down, verse 8, he says, For you were sometimes darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children in the light. Did he say that you were light in the Lord if you walk as light in the Lord? Or are you light in the Lord and therefore you need to walk like light in the Lord? Read it again. And I'm going to just go back to verse 6. I should have just kept reading. Let no man deceive you with vain words, for because of these things come the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. Are we children of disobedience or children of obedience? Obedience, because we've obeyed from the heart that gospel which has been preached to us. It's not our daily obedience. It was the obedience and we put faith in Jesus Christ. He calls the unbeliever children of disobedience. He calls us children of obedience. And how do we know that? How can, Matt, that's not true. If we do those same things, we're also children of disobedience. We'll read the next verse. Be not ye therefore partakers with them. <laughs> Don't be like them. Don't do what they do. You're not them. And then he goes on, he says, for you were sometimes darkness. You were darkness. But now are ye light in the Lord. Walk as children in the light. For the fruit of the Spirit is all goodness and righteousness and truth, proving what is acceptable unto the Lord, and have no fellowship, no kononia, with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. Reprove them. So believers should not partake with them. doesn't make us one with them. But because we're not one like them, we shouldn't partake with them. We should be separate. Be holy as he is holy. And then Galatians goes into the same thing. Verse 5, or chapter 5. He says, verse 19... Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envies, murders, drunkenness, rivalries, of such life, of the which I tell you before, as I have also told you in times past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. It's a contrast. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. As such, against such there is no law. And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and the lust thereof. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us also walk in the Spirit. Peter tells us too in 1 Peter chapter 4 he says this for as much then as Christ has suffered for us in the flesh arm yourselves likewise with this same mind notice what he says he doesn't say become something that you aren't already he says get this mind get this thought renew your mind he says this for he that has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin that he should no longer live the rest of his time in the flesh to the lusts of men, but to the will of God. For the time past of our life may suffice us to have wrought the will of the Gentiles. When we walked in lasciviousness, lust, excess of wine, rivalries, banqueting or partying, a party spirit, and abominable idolatries, wherein 
they think. Who thinks? The world thinks. They think that it's strange that we do not run with them in the same excess of writing, speaking evil of you, who shall give an account to him that is ready to judge the quick and the dead. I irritate Sarah sometimes with this verse. <laughs> Because sometimes, you know, we'll, we'll go out to eat. We'll go to a Mexican restaurant or whatever, and she'll, she'll get a margarita. She likes to drink margarita so often. She doesn't get drunk. She drinks one margarita. That's cool. Whatever. The Bible doesn't say you can't drink alcohol. It says don't get drunk, right? I'm good with that. No problem. But sometimes we'll have friends that call themselves Christians and are Christians probably. It's not for me to judge that. And I know they drink. And drink and drink and drink and drink and drink. And they'll say, hey, I'm having a party. Why don't you come over? And I'll say, that's okay. No thanks. Thank you for inviting us, but no thanks. Oh, we know, Matt, you have a problem with that. Why don't, Sarah, why don't you come over? Because they seen her drink a margarita when we've got out tea together. And I'll look at Sarah, and Sarah will look at me, and she'll say, no, that's okay. I can't do that. Well, there's no problem with that. And then I have to be the party pooper <laughs> and say, you know the problem with that? It says that people will think that we're strange because we don't want to partake in those things. And here's the thing. I don't need that party spirit because that's not who I am. I would rather party around Jesus than I would a bottle. So when you have that party, invite me over. I just can't be a part of that kind of party. It's not about right and wrong. It's about a witness for Jesus Christ. And it's saying, I am different from that. That's not who I am anymore. And that's not who I want to be. Doesn't mean that I can't drink it, something if I want to drink something ever so often. It means that's not who I am. And I won't be brought into the power of anything. It's not beneficial. It's not expedient. And I want darkness to notice I'm light. Because we're to reprove those things, not be a part of those things. Okay, I don't know how we got off into all that, but let's go over to 1 John now. How about that? <laughs> I remember now, because he's going to talk about contrast. There we go. <laughs> and he's going to make some very definite uh, distinctions. We got talking about the wheat and the tare. That's how we got into all that, didn't we? Okay. Paul, or John is talking to a church. I got to get away from Paul. I'm on John. <laughs> John is talking to a church that has a mixture of people, right? And they're believing some multiple things that aren't necessarily true. And John is bringing clarity to their doctrine. He's saying this is right and this is wrong. And this is truth and this is error. Because truth will what? Set you free. Set you free. So what will error do? Bring you into bondage. That's right. What you believe will cause you to feel certain things and what you feel will cause certain actions to be produced. It's a rule of God. Emotions are simply a byproduct of the thoughts that you've been thinking. You've been acting like trash? Rewind the tape a little bit and think about what you've been thinking on. What have you been feeling like and what have you been watching, talking, and seeing? Did someone come steal your dog, your truck, burn your house down? That's most country music. Yeah. <laughs> All your exes live in Texas and you decide to move to California or Hawaii? <laughs> that might be why you feel the way you feel. <laughs> you have the ability to decide how much of God and how little of God you're going to have in your life. And it all starts with your thinking. It starts there. Think about it. In the beginning was 
The word. What does that word word mean? What does it mean? It means Jesus. But th- think about this idea. The word. A word. What, what is a word? Well, well, what is a word? It's a container for what? <laughs> He's like, should have shut up. Shouldn't have said a word. <laughs> <laughs> it's Nick. Nick, I said my part. <laughs> what is it, Christina? What's a word? Letters put together for what purpose? Create an image. To give understanding, to create an image. It, do, do you know what, what, what the scripture really means when it says, in the beginning was the word? I could take this book. I wasn't going to do it with mine. It's, it's a little expensive. I, <laughs> I could take this book and I could start ripping pages out of it. And did I destroy the word of God? No. I can throw it on the floor. Sorry, Pastor. Did, it, did I destroy the word of God? No. Why not? Isn't this the word of God? Oh, so it's something that's in me. So, so what do you mean? You're getting there. I think you know what you're trying to say, but you don't know how to say what you're trying to say. What, what God is saying when he says, in the beginning was the word, is this. He's trying to help finite human beings understand an eternal concept. Okay? In the beginning was an expression of God. There was an expression of God. And that expression was with God. As a matter of fact, the expression was God. The purpose of the word isn't the actual thing. It's to convey an idea. And this is the same thing that Hebrews chapter 1 is saying when it says that Jesus Christ is the fullness of the glory of God. He is the expressed image, expressed image of the Father. You want to know what Father God is like? Look at Jesus. You know why I can tell you that the Old Covenant isn't wrong? It's not something we should get rid of, but you have to come to it and understand it is incomplete. Because you're reading scriptures that were written to a man that cannot grasp spiritual truth. When they left that garden, they left behind the ability to have revelation knowledge. To grasp truth. I don't believe that. Well, then read 1 Corinthians chapter 1. It says, The natural man cannot receive the things of the Spirit of God for their foolishness to him, nor can he understand them. He couldn't grasp the expression. How did Jesus come to us? How did he come? Through the Word. What do you mean? Why wasn't Jesus born before he was born? In the fullness of time, what happened? God moved upon holy men of God. He gave them a holy unction. He gave them an inspiration to express into the earth what Jesus was. And it says that he was the word made flesh. What word that was made flesh? 
all those prophecies that Isaiah, that Hosea, that Daniel, that Malachi, that all of them ever said, all the expressions of who he would be were being spoken into the earth. And as they were being spoken into the earth, the time was coming into fulfillment for Jesus to come. And when the full expression of Jesus was ready, he was born, a man under the law, fully God and fully man. And he goes further and tells us about this as in Hebrews he says, Lo, it is written in the book about me. I came to do thy will, O God. And he refers to the fact he came as an expression of the book. He came as an expression of God. The word he was expressing God. The old covenant is an incomplete picture of who God is because of mankind's skewed perception due to their sinfulness. In the garden, before sin, they knew God. They understood God. They koinoniaed with God. Matter of fact, God acted like nothing had happened. And he came walking in the coolness of the day, saying, Adam, where are you? Where are you, Adam? You think God didn't know where Adam was? <laughs> he was saying, that mirror image of me is gone. Adam, where are you? What happened? That woman you gave me. Yeah. <laughs> Amen, Lord, right? <laughs> At that point, when they embraced the knowledge of good and evil, they chose to lay down the knowledge of the divine. They chose to lay down life. And they never again saw God the way he truly was. Because all they could see was through lenses that had been tainted with sin. And when you see God in lenses tainted with sin, all you see is his holiness and your unholiness and how you don't belong there. This is why prophets fell at their feet dead. This is why people said, God... You cleanse me for I'm a, a sinful man. Peter does this when he sees Jesus and he talks to Jesus, interacts with Jesus. You know, Jesus actually called Peter to follow him three separate times before he actually did. Read the Gospels in chronological order. Three different times he told Peter to follow him. He never followed him until the last one. And you know how he got Peter to follow him? He said, let me go out a little ways from the coast into your boat because there were so many people. And he started teaching from the boat. And when he was done... He looked at Peter and he said, Peter, throw your net to the other side. And he says, Lord, we've, we've, we've done that. We've, we've fished all day and all night. But at your word, I've sat here and I've listened to what you've said. You've told me things about God that I've never heard. Remember people always said, he says strange things. He teaches like people we've never heard before. He preaches a word with power. And Peter says, we've done that. But at your word, we'll do it again. And they threw their nets over, and what happened? And that they were so full, it started sinking the boat. Did Peter finish helping pull it up? He dropped the net. <laughs> and he fell at Jesus' feet weeping, and he says, I am a sinful man. He got the expression. He got the expression. Before he saw the word, but at that moment he got the expression. He 
finally realized who God was. God had come to meet him face to face in the person of Jesus Christ, and he found out he wasn't like he thought he was. He was totally different from what he thought. And when that happened, he was willing to leave. That boating company, Peter was wealthy. Peter had employees. You know why John and James were spending time with him? They were his employees. <laughs> they ran his fishing company with him. That's why he went back to fishing after Jesus died, because he wasn't sure what he was going to do, but he knew he could make money. <laughs> That's why when he ran to Jesus and he said, aren't you going to pay your taxes? What did Jesus tell him? Go fish. He says, find it in a fish's knife. He says, Peter, don't pull out of your pocket. Don't you think with all those people given to Jesus' ministry, Judas was stealing out of the pot. You think that he didn't have money? You're foolish. I don't even have a treasurer. <laughs> I probably need one, but <laughs> they probably manage my money better, right? Jesus had a treasurer, and he was stealing out of the pot. Nobody noticed out of all 12 of them. And you know they all were taking money out of their feeding people. Why didn't anyone notice? Because they had money. Jesus didn't say, go take the money out of the pot. He says, go find it in a fish's mouth. He was teaching Peter, you can be supplied any way it has to happen. Because God is a good God. He supplies for us. Peter got it. And Peter tested those boundaries every time. He said, Lord, if it really be you, call me out on this water. <laughs> And what was Jesus going to say? It ain't, it ain't me. me. <laughs> it's like, it wasn't me, it's my brother. It's Harold. <laughs> no. And he said, come. And Peter was fine until he started to look at everything else except for that word. He was fine until he looked at the wind and the waves. And Jesus' question was, why did you doubt? Why did you look at something else and say, that expression is more real than the expression that I'm giving to you? This, this is really who it is. This is, I'm God. This is it. Embrace this expression, and it will transform you, and you'll become like it. That's what Jesus was teaching them. And that's really what we're supposed to, that's why our witness is so important. Because they are words that aren't spoken. They are expressions in this earth of Jesus Christ. And sometimes, I know it's cliche, but it's true, you are the only Bible that anyone will ever read. And they need to see a living Christ, not a dead, anemic church. I don't care if they ever come to church. But God, let them at least have an encounter with you. That's what they need. And I believe that that's really what John is talking about in this book. I think he's sifting the wheat and the tares, and I think he's talking about those who've experienced God and those who think they know everything about God. And he's showing the difference between the two. So John chapter 2, that was all introduction. Do I still have time? I got five minutes. All right. <laughs> the so, word is the very logo of God. Absolutely. Yep. That's what the word is. Yep. First John chapter 2, we left off in verse 9. He says, remember uh, verse 7, a little bit uh, backing up. He talks about the commandment. He says, I'm not writing a new commandment to you, but an old commandment. What was that old commandment that he was referring to? Anyone remember? What was the greatest commandment? Love the Lord, your God. Love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, body, mind, and soul. 
Do we still teach that? The fulfillment of the law is what? Love. Love. Have we totally gotten rid of the law? We're free from it for righteousness sake. Until you're free from the law, you can't fulfill the law. The law is love. Matter of fact, James tells us, live as those who will be judged by the law of liberty. The law of liberty. A law of freedom. What's he saying? You'll be judged by whether you're free or you're not. Well, who's free? The believers. Believers are free. Now, you may not be walking in freedom, but he set you free. He set you free from the law of sin and death, the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. Amen? Amen. And he goes on, he says, this isn't a new commandment, it's an old commandment, but a new commandment I teach you. Now, wait a minute, he just said... It's an old commandment. Now he says it's a new commandment. What does he mean by saying it's a new commandment now? How is it new? It's new because I couldn't fulfill it under the old, could I? I could want to, but I couldn't do it, could I? But now, where is the love of God? Romans 5.5, the love of God has been shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost. For it is God within us, Philippians chapter 2, both to do and to will his good pleasure. For the fruit of the Spirit is love. That's it. Everything else is in there. <laughs> Joy, peace, long time. It's all in that love. Jesus was anointed with the oil of gladness above all of his fellows. Jesus was a hoot. He was hilarious to be around. He was a fun guy. You can't tell from all the paintings they made of him, but he was a fun guy. I think he was a huge practical joker. Hey, Peter, go sit this frog under John. <laughs> I bet it happened all the time. All the time. I bet. That's how love acts. He's saying it's a new commandment because now he didn't tell you to go do it. He said, now be it. I don't want you to go do something. I want you to be something. Well, what, what do I want you to be? I want you to be like God. Therefore, he made us like God. Therefore, he made us one with God. Therefore, we can't help but bear fruit unto righteousness. Fruit should constantly be flowing out of us. We shouldn't be trying to do it. You see a, a tree, an apple tree, go out there and go, oh, there's an apple. Or do you see a little bit here and a little bit there? Or you're like, like Sarah and she'll say, there's a tomato on my plant. It's this big. <laughs> and she plucks it and puts it in the window. I'm like, why don't you let that thing grow a little bit? No, 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 no. Because she wants to eat it so bad. <laughs> Put it in the window, see a little get red. <laughs> <laughs> like that poor little thing, it could have grew if it was stayed on the vine. As we behold his love, we become like his love because his love is one with us. And that's what the world wants to see. He says, it's not a new commandment because the light's already shining in you and that light is the light of love. Remember in the, first, in the Gospel of John, first chapter, he says that the word became flesh and dwelt among us and he was the light of men. 
He says he was the light of men. And he came to his own, and his own received him not. But to those that did receive him, to them he gave power, exousia, authority, to become the children of God. He has given us authority, kingdom authority, as children of God. So it goes on and says in verse 9, He that says he is in the light and hates his brother. Now wait a minute, we, we read earlier, see, there was a method to my madness. We read earlier, are we in the light if we walk in the light, or are we in the light and therefore we should be walking like the light? We're already light. He said so. Therefore, walk in the light, because you are light. If you live in the Spirit, also walk in the Spirit. Living is positional. Walking is behavioral. Do you understand what I'm saying? What I do doesn't make me who I am, but what I am should definitely affect what I do. <coughs> Goes on and he says, For he that says that he is in the light and hates his brother is in darkness even till now. You want to know who's the tares and who's the weak? Who's walking in love? You know, someone said he's just hateful to the core. To the core. He's manipulative. He's backbiting. He's gossiping. I don't think the guy's ever said a nice thing ever in his whole life. Hey, brother, can you scoot over? No! My family tithed for this seat. It's my seat. Okay. I can tell. <laughs> it's got a spirit about it. <laughs> you ever meet those people that you're just like, there's something in me that says, something ain't right here. Something ain't right here. John is telling you, here's fruit from one tree and here's fruit for another. The one that's like Christ, the one that's a believer, should naturally have evidence of love. Doesn't mean it'll be mature, doesn't mean it'll be full grown, but there should be evidence of love in that person's life. There should be a natural inclination towards righteousness, towards goodness. We see this, folks. We know people who've been in church for years and then fall out of church, and they'll tell you things like, I know I should be at church. I know I need to be serving God. I know I'm not ready. Will you pray with me? How many sinners come up to you and go, will you pray with me? <laughs> Not very many, right? But people who know the truth, but they're not letting it affect their lives. They're, they're looking for something. Somebody please help me. It really comes down to their decisions, but they're still looking for help, right? They're in the light, but they're not walking as the light. He goes on and he says this. He that, love, he that loveth his brother abides in the light, and there is no occasion of stumbling in him. But he that hateth his brother is in darkness, and walks in darkness, and knoweth not where he goes, because darkness has blinded his eyes. They're deceived. They think they're okay. There is a way that seems right unto a man, but the end thereof leads to destruction. Every last one of those scribes and Pharisees believed they had a one-way ticket to heaven, didn't they? And who were the people that Jesus couldn't stand the most? The scribes and the Pharisees. Were they deceived? Were they walking in darkness? 
But they were doing all the right things. No. It's not doing right, it's being right. And that's what they missed. They were blind to their own wickedness. He says, I've come to those who need a physician, not those who think they're okay. Amen? Amen. All right. I got through a whole paragraph tonight of 1 John. <laughs> we'll pick up here next week. Pastor, you want to close out in prayer tonight? Well, Father, I just thank you that love is Thank you.